Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we learn a smidgen of history every day. The day was March 23rd, 1849. An enslaved man named Henry Brown packed himself up in a box and, with the help of friends, mailed himself from slavery in Virginia to freedom in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Henry was born in 1815 or 1816 at the Hermitage Plantation in Louisa County, Virginia, and John Barrett was his owner. Henry's life was markedly different from that of many other people who were enslaved at the time. He knew and grew up with his parents and his four sisters and three brothers. He was not whipped. As Henry learned more about slavery on other plantations, he discovered how terrible the conditions on plantations could be. But it wasn't long before Henry's life would be changed forever by one of the cruel practices endemic to the institution of slavery, family separation. When Henry was a teenager, John Barrett died and gave Henry to his son, William. William took Henry to Richmond to work in a tobacco factory, separating Henry from his family. William promised Henry good treatment and a small sum of money if he behaved well and worked hard. Years later, Henry married an enslaved woman named Nancy, who was owned by a banker named Mr. Lee. But Henry was once again torn apart from a loved one when Nancy was sold to Joseph Colquitt, then to a man named Samuel Cottrell. Cottrell basically extorted Henry, telling Henry that he could stay with his wife and kids if he paid him $50 a year. Henry did so, and the family lived together for years in a rental home, attending the First African Baptist Church. But in August 1848, 12 years into the marriage, Cottrell sold Nancy and the three brown children. At the time, Nancy was pregnant. On the day Nancy had to leave for North Carolina, Henry held Nancy's hand for four miles before he said his final goodbye. Henry was once again ripped away from his family. What happened to Nancy and their children is unknown. It was at this point when Henry began to really resent the lack of morality and goodness in supposedly Christian slave owners, and he longed to escape slavery. He later wrote the following. One day, while I was at work and my thoughts were eagerly feasting upon the idea of freedom, I felt my soul called out to heaven to breathe a prayer to Almighty God. I prayed fervently that he who seeth in secret and knew the inmost desires of my heart, would lend me his aid in bursting my fetters asunder and in restoring me to the possession of those rights of which men had robbed me. When the idea suddenly flashed across my mind of shutting myself up in a box and getting myself conveyed as dry goods to a free state. So Henry turned to James Caesar Anthony Smith, a free black man and fellow member of the First African Baptist Church Choir for help James Smith then reached out to Samuel Alexander Smith, a white shoemaker, gambler, and slave owner, 
to set up the escape. After they decided that Henry would be shipped in a box by rail to Philadelphia, Samuel Smith got in touch with James Miller McKim, a leader of the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society who was involved in the Underground Railroad. Henry poured sulfuric acid on one of his fingers that was already infected to get off work, and on March 23, 1849, Henry climbed into a wooden box marked as dry goods that was three feet one inch long, two feet wide, and two and a half feet high. Henry was around five feet and 10 inches and 200 pounds, so it was a tight fit. He had a little water and some biscuits for the ride, and he had cut holes in the box for air. Samuel and James nailed him into the box, and Samuel shipped it to Philadelphia through the Adams Express Company. The trip took a grueling 27 hours, and along the way, Henry was turned upside down and thought he might die. But he made it to the headquarters of the Philadelphia Anti-Slavery Society alive the next day. Henry later wrote, I had risen as if it were from the dead. Months later, Samuel and James were arrested for trying to ship another person to freedom. Samuel was sentenced to six and a half years in prison, but James was released. Henry Box Brown went on tours telling his story and wrote a book with the abolitionist Charles Stearns called Narrative of Henry Box Brown. Just before the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 passed, which would require people who escaped slavery and lived in free states to be returned to their owners, Henry was motivated to leave the country because of a racist assault he had endured. Henry lived in England for 25 years, performing acts about his escape, abolition, and eventually magic and science. He returned to the U.S. in 1875 with his second wife and daughter and stayed in the entertainment business. Years later, he moved to Canada and likely died there in 1897. People who were enslaved used many different methods of escape, some successful and some not. But Henry's male escape lives on as a testament to the ingenuity and determination many people had to employ to find a way to freedom. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to know more about Henry's life, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called The Life and Magic of Henry Box Brown. And I'd like to add that some sources claim he was shipped on March 29th and arrived in Philadelphia on March 30th, including the book that Brown wrote himself called Narrative of the Life of Henry Box Brown. But a letter James Miller McKim wrote on March 26, 1849, puts the shipping date at March 23rd, and other documents back that date up as well. And during his lifetime, Henry did have some critics. James Smith criticized him for taking an English wife instead of trying to find and purchase Nancy. Frederick Douglass also thought that Brown ruined the chance for other enslaved people to escape via shipping since Brown had publicized his method. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here again tomorrow. Hey everyone, it's Eves again, speaking to you from the comfort of my home. Welcome to another episode of This Day in History class. 
The day was March 23, 1942. Guyanese historian and activist Walter Rodney was born. He's remembered for his scholarship and activism concerning the working class and Black people around the world. Rodney was born to Edward and Pauline Rodney in Georgetown, British Guyana, or present-day Guyana. British Guyana was a colony that was part of the British West Indies. After World War II, there were increasing demands for political independence in Guyana. The People's Progressive Party, a left-wing political party, formed in the early 1950s in the colony. Rodney's perspectives developed in the midst of this rising anti-colonial sentiment. During that decade, Rodney distributed People's Progressive Party manifestos. He began attending Queens College, a high school in Guyana. There, he edited the school's newspaper and participated in the debate society. He graduated in 1960 and won a scholarship to the University College of the West Indies. He graduated with a degree in history in 1963. He went on to attend the University of London, where he got a doctorate in African history. His thesis was called A History of the Upper Guinea Coast, 1545 to 1800. In England, Rodney continued to recognize how scholarship divorced history from politics. Rodney took a job as a lecturer in Tanzania, but he left to teach at the University of the West Indies in Jamaica. There, he taught African history, highlighting the importance of Africa and Caribbean history and the impact of historical resistance against slavery and colonialism. He advocated for the working class and criticized the government's policies. He gave lectures to marginalized groups in Jamaica and became a key figure in the Black Power movement. After he went to the Black Writers' Conference in Montreal in 1968, Rodney was declared persona non grata by the Jamaican government and banned from returning to the country. People protested his banning, but he continued to speak out on the repression of darker Jamaicans. He taught in Tanzania for a few years, publishing his best-known work, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. But in 1974, he returned to Guyana, which had gained independence in 1966, to take a position as a professor of history at the University of Guyana. Though his appointment to the university was revoked, he stayed in Guyana, and he became a leader of the Working People's Alliance, a political group formed in the 1970s in opposition to the regime of Prime Minister Forbes Burnham. Rodney gave lectures in Jamaica, Europe, and the U.S., and he continued his vocal resistance to Burnham as the government proceeded to sponsor police raids and beatings. In July of 1979, he and seven other people were arrested after two government offices were burned down. He faced charges of arson but was acquitted. Though he and his peers faced persecution, he maintained his criticism of the government and the Constitution. But on June 13, 1980, Rodney died in a bomb explosion. The bomb was allegedly given to him by someone in the Guyana Defense Force. It's suspected that the assassination was orchestrated by Burnham. Rodney was survived by his wife and three children. Some of his works were published posthumously. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to leave us a message on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at TDIHC Podcast. And if you prefer to send us an email, you can do so at thisday at iheartmedia.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.